Abba Yahweh, again you grace me with the breath this morning to come and rise and be a conduit and share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. Father God, this is gospel to you, gospel to my Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes to guide and teach, Father. Gospel of truth, Father. Abba Yahweh, Amen, Yeshua, Amen, Barakitas, Amen. So the word gospel, what does that mean? And you hear me mention the gospel to God, the gospel of God. <coughs> Pardon me. And some people think, well, that's not correct. That's, that's incorrect. That's not good information. Gospel of Jesus. Well, the word gospel actually is a Latin term. The Romans use it. And what it means is Gospel just means truth or good news. So let me ask you this. You don't think that the word of God is gospel, good news, and truth? And that the gospels are only about Jesus Christ? They call them the gospels because that is good news. The good news is that God, Jesus, were thinking about us before he even came. While we were still at enmity with God, he loves us. And Jesus came, sacrificed his life for ours. He came for me, saved me, redeemed me to give me the opportunity to do what I'm doing now, sharing the truth, the good news, the gospel of God the Father and Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son and to share the Holy Spirit in truth. Brothers and sisters, gospel is truth. People have a misconception of Revelation and talk about the book of Revelation and its doom and gloom and apocalypse and so forth and so on. Well, let me share this with you again. In some Bibles, you will find that when they talk about the book of Revelation, at the heading, it says Revelation, and underneath it, of Jesus Christ. And the word apocalypto is a Greek word. Apocalyptos. It's a Greek word. And it just means... The unveiling. That's all it means. The revelation. Hello. When you open the curtains back, you reveal the sunshine and it comes in and it floods your house. First thing in the morning, sleeping in the dark and the curtains are closed. Boom, pull the curtains back and the day is revealed. It's either sunny or it's raining. So thank God, my father, for his only begotten son who came for me. And the sun is raining. My Lord Jesus, who has been given authority over all things and is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he reigns. Oh, yes, he reigns. 
Lord, sovereign God, you are reigning on the throne of heaven and Jesus is on that throne with you and he is our lion. Thank you, Father God, for that truth. The Apocalyptus. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's all that word means. So people get... Hear me when I tell you this. Knock off the craziness, okay? The world is crazy enough without those that claim to be label heads and those that claim to be Christian. And yet they only read portions of the Bible that have... The lilies of the field, the bluebirds of happiness, sweet sunshine. <coughs> Pardon me. And you can almost hear the tweeting of the birds in the background. They don't want to read about any of the things that the prophets did or foretold or any of the uh, apparitions of things that God did, like Sodom and Gomorrah. They won't even read about Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't read about the flood. And they don't want to read the book of Revelation because it talks about all the plagues and the things that they're going to do when Satan thinks he's going to beat us all up. Oh, my gosh. Okay, if you're going to read a manual, an instruction manual, and you want to follow it and make sure that everything is done correctly, then you need to study and show yourself approved to the Lord God Almighty and read this Bible. Rule of faith from front to back and back to front and it interweaves and goes. The Lord shared with us, Paul shared with us, Peter talked about it. Where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Temporal things in this plane of existence are not primary, they're not paramount. My treasure is my reward in heaven when I am doing the things that God says and, and he says to me when I enter the gate or when he meets me there and he says, well done, son, welcome home. That's the reward. That's the validation that I seek to have, not the validation of mammon. The validation of mammon is temporal. It's full of rust and decay. And it's not truth. It's not truth. They're going to tell you one thing to your face to get what they want from you and then turn around and stab you in the back and sometimes quite literally. There was a song many years ago. I think I even remember when it was first... uh, Anyway, can't remember the artist, but I do remember the song and I remember the verses. And they talk about backstabbers. Smiling in your face while all the while seeking how to take your place. It was for a different line of thought, but the same thing applies. Backstabbers. They look at you and they'll smile to your face and then turn around and rumor gossip monger about you behind your back. The Bible tells us to flee from those things. In the house of God, it is not permitted. And Paul, when he was talking to the church and the letters that were written by John to the churches for these very reasons, 
the Ephesians. There were two women that were at odds. They caused derision, separation, and they were just going at it. And they caused a rift down the middle of the brothers and sisters that were going to the church and trying to worship God. And they were, I mean, it was a forceful thing like beating people up to make them do it. But people were put into a position where they felt that they needed to choose a side to be on. There is no side in heaven. Joshua met Jesus on the path to Jericho when he was going down. And I know that it was him, and I tell you it was him, just like Nebuchadnezzar saw him in the furnace. And there is another like unto the Son of God. How did he know if the authority wasn't there? And he didn't recognize the authority. And you don't know the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar until you finish reading the whole thing. When he was running in the fields wild like an animal and eating the grass and was like an oxen and all this. Why? Because of his bragging about himself. Joshua saw the Lord when he was going on the path down to Jericho. He, and there stood opposing him a man with his sword drawn. And Joshua said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man simply said, nay. Didn't expound on anything, just said, no. I'm not on his side. And then his response revealed to Joshua who he was speaking to. And he threw himself onto the ground, took his shoes off because then he realized he was on holy ground. The messengers that come in angelic form that God sends to us as messengers, you don't bow down and worship. And every time that anyone did so, they were rebuked by the angel and said, don't bow to me. That's for the Lord only. That's for God only. Do not bow to me. They were rebuked and told not to do so. And there were some that were fearful and they threw themselves down and... but. They weren't worshiping. And the angel just took them and took them back to their feet. But in this instance with Joshua on the path to Jericho, the further response was the captain of the hosts of heaven takes no side. Joshua knew when he heard those words, he knew who he was talking to. And he threw himself onto the ground. He removed his shoes from his feet because he knew that he was on holy ground. All ground that the Lord stands on is holy ground. God comes to us. It is holy ground. He knew. He knew. The rule of faith. Old Testament, New Testament, back and forth. And you will find that Jesus is not only revealed in the second coming of the line of the tribe of Judah, the revelation of Jesus, the apocalyptos. And that's not like the Terminator and all these movies where you see everything is mass destruction and destroyed. Lord God will make everything new. All things will be made new. God is telling us that. That's his word, that's his promise. All things will be made new. Then you go back to the Old Testament and Jesus is revealed there as well through the entire Bible, not just in prophetic words, but in physicality with Joshua, Nebuchadnezzar, 
And as we were discussing through yesterday, was that yesterday? Yes, it was, I believe so. But in the previous sharing of God's word and God's truth, and being in that word, we were talking about Hezekiah. Hmm. Notice the pattern, not just with him, but with others, with all of us. The pattern is, and as we are told, pride comes before the fall. Arrogance comes before the fall. Now, I'm going to expound a little bit on that. A lot of people think that self-confidence is being arrogant. But arrogance is if you like um, (laughs) pharisaical attitude, actions. Holier than thou is another way that you can say, God, they act so pious and holier than thou. They think they're so goody-goody teachers. And I'll be honest with you, I used to think that of Paul. I thought, man, this guy is just arrogant. No, Paul is not, was not, not any time was he arrogant about anything he was doing. He was being factual and he was being truthful. There's a difference. Arrogance is the imposition of self-thought about being better than others and then imposing that illusion on other people. That's arrogance. But if you are upright, bold, courageous, and speak the truth in the word of God and speak in truth, that's not arrogance. And if other people want to believe it, so be it. So what? Hear me say it again, as I've said many times. I don't care. My validation doesn't come from mammon or anybody on this plane of existence. I don't care. You think so? I don't care. Why? Because my degree from Heaven Sent University has already been stamped and signed by the Lord, my God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Their validation is all that matters to me. The triune spirit, one unitized, our Father God in heaven, creator of all things made, maker of all things made. Jesus, his only begotten son who came from his heavenly throne and died for me. He came for me. What was he thinking? Thinking about me. I make it personal. You can do the same thing. That validation is all that matters. So I don't care what any of you out there say or what any of you try to impose on anybody else. That is arrogance. That is trying to to be an imposition on other peoples by gossip mongering, rumor mongering, lies and untruths. And, you know, this is what, this is what, pardon me, the cancel culture and all those that are woke or claiming to be woke because they have been, their eyes have been open to the truth. Well, what is the truth? They don't know. They wouldn't know the truth if it came and bit them. Jesus, now he didn't say it that way. I paraphrase a little bit. But he told 
the Sanhedrin, the same thing. He stood before me, he said, and the truth stands before you. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and, and he didn't say that, but uh, he might've been thinking it, but he didn't say it because he knew that that would not be correct. But he said, you wouldn't know the truth. You don't speak the truth because you speak the language of your father. And he told them that their father was Satan. He told them that they speak that language because that's what they hear all the time, so they speak it. Their arrogance, that was arrogance. Forcing the imposition of their lies and untruths and declaring that Jesus, because he didn't agree with them, that he was a blasphemer, he was a liar, a sorcerer, that's, oh my goodness. Yeah, I get a little rattled. But it's righteous anger. For those of you out there that are not reading the Bible in its entirety and in its contextual envelope that it was meant to be read, shame on you. Get it together. Pray repentance and get in the word of God. The instruction manual that God wrote for us he authored it, and all these names that you see and attributed, <clears throat> pardon me, they penned it, but he is the author and the finisher. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and all things were made by him, and Jesus was with him. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became when the word came to save us, to redeem us, and stood before the Sanhedrin, and their arrogance, their pride, in the center letter of the word pride is I. Their arrogance declared that the only begotten Son of God was violating the laws of Moses. You ever read anything about the Sanhedrin and historically? That's what they, they didn't talk about the law of God. They declared the law of Moses that imposed their will to turn them that that's how they should worship God. Moses was used of God. He came to God and tried to find every excuse and reason why he couldn't serve God. God said, hey, we're going to fix your little palate in the roof of your mouth so you don't talk funny. I'm going to send your brother with you. Aaron's going to go to Egypt with you. You'll carry the staff and I'll help you walk because he tried to claim his lameness and all this. Oh, man, Moses was so full. He had a plethora of excuses and he, while he was talking to God at the burning bush, he was reaching in, in his bag of tricks, trying to pull all the excuses he could out of it not to go. Moses went back. And Aaron did work. And Aaron spoke. But only exactly how God told Moses to do it. Now we're going to back up here a little bit. We're going to pulling the reins so Mr. Whitehawk doesn't get too 
too excited. Can't help it. It's the word of God. It's true. I love I love sharing this word. But anyway, we're going to go back into <clears throat> a book which is part of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. And one of those kings that they talk about is the, I love this word, heard it from one of my teachers here, despotic. I love words that have a ring or a sound to it, and they're, they're I call them a wholesome word because they teach and they show in and of themselves a really good truth. So that's why I like the word Phariseeism, pharisaical, despotic. We're going to talk about the son of Hezekiah. <clears throat> Pardon me. And what took place with Hezekiah was his arrogance that culminated in the fall of the nation of Israel and the beginning of sorrows for them, Babylon. Would it not have been better, and I shared this with uh, when we were in Chronicles and, and Isaiah talks about it. I shared those scriptures with you. Hezekiah started out really well in Second Chronicles. It talks about Hezekiah, and he came in, and he gathered the Levites and the elders from the synagogue, the temple, and the eastern courts. Basically, he held a, um, a spiritual forum and told them what they were going to do and to get their act together, to get themselves sanctified and cleansed and get in the synagogue and take out the rubbish, take out the garbage. And if you read further in the scripture... The temple had been left to ruin. It had been left to ruin. Everything taken out. And they would come by and they would throw their garbage in there. It was literally a trash receptacle. That That's just very pitiful and sad to me. And I look around, I see this very thing just being done today. Ah, breaks my heart. But none of what I see going on in the world, when I talk about it and I share that stuff, none of what I see going on around us is unknown. It's not anything new. The scripture talks about it. And there was a song when I was younger in church that said, I wish we'd all been ready. I wish we'd all been ready. A loaf of bread will buy a bag of gold. The demons dance, the devil dine. I wish we'd all been ready. Well, let me share this about that. It's happening now, and if you cannot see it or you refuse to recognize it and you refuse to see it, all the happy, happy, joy, joy, smile, smiles, bluebirds, 
chirping birds and all that, and that's all you want to see. There is a lot of beauty that can still be seen and recognized. If you look with spiritual eyesight and hear with spiritual hearing, you will hear nature declaring the Lord God Almighty. You will see the declaration of the Lord God from, from his creation. I love the fact, yeah, there's a lot of darkness here, but it is a broken, spiritually devoid plane of existence. However, the Lord God makes provision. He provides and he gives us illuminating things that we can see and share with one another. So take heart in the promises of Lord my God and Jesus our Savior. Take heart because brothers and sisters, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, you have faith in God and you follow the steps of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be led on a good path. It doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to try to come and knock you off. He hits on me hard. Oh, he comes hard. And the closer my walk with God and the closer I want to be to God and the more I want to do what I'm doing, oh, he comes. He comes hard. You think it's an easy thing that I'm doing without my transportation and this was something that that God shared with me. And, and brothers and sisters, it's, it's tough, but... God is with me. And if God is with me, who or what can be against me? Hallelujah. Yahweh. Aman. You are praiseworthy, Father God. Yeshua, you are praiseworthy. Parakritos. You are praiseworthy. Always with me. He promises that. But let's get back here to Manasseh the son of Hezekiah, who started out well with good intent and he took his Levites and those who were supposed to be taking care of the synagogue and the temple and he took them to the east court of such and said, hey, sanctify and clean yourselves up, clean up your act and get your tail ends in the temple and take out the rubbish. This is a house of God, not a trash bin sanctified and get in there and get it done. Well, they did that thing and it went well. It was going good. Then he got sick and he cried out to God and God heard his cries and gave him extended, <clears throat> extended his, his life. And my other teacher was sharing, and, and I love his sharing of that. And it's in, actually in the Word, the Bible. And I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about that for these several weeks, and one of the things I'm thanking God for is that his medicine cabinet is so profoundly greater than the medicine cabinets that so many decide that they want to put their trust and faith in because it comes from mammon. And hey, after all, doctors, they know best because they went to school. Well, guess what? They don't. And many, sadly, are lying to folks and they've sold themselves to what has been termed Big Pharma. But God's medicine cabinet provides what we need. God provides. I love what's going on all. And I, I share this with you because I falsely went down that path. And this is before my walking with God the way I should have been. But following that path and was trying to do everything through 
those things that were created by mammon and none of it worked. But those things that come from God's medicine cabinet are good. And it's told us that those things are good. And when it talks about, uh, how does the word say, it talks about the fig that was made into a plaster or poultice, I guess some would call it, and put on the boils that were on Hezekiah. That came from God's medicine cabinet. Olive oil, the olive trees, the olive branches, the olive wood, that's all from God's medicine cabinet, from his truth, and it's all good stuff. And where the fault came is the arrogance of man and their declaration was saying that we could make it better, stronger, and faster. Oh, wait a second. Uh, They weren't relying on God's timing. They weren't waiting on the Lord. They weren't doing anything according to his leading. They were better. That's arrogance. Leading and arrogance. Back to Manasseh. Or back to Hezekiah and Manasseh. So Hezekiah started out really well. And then, of course, you can see if you read in the scripture that Isaiah was not very happy with Hezekiah. When he heard about the visitation, see, they were concerned about Hezekiah. Well, you know, kings and kingdoms, they were like that, especially when they had certain ideals toward Judah, Israel, and Babylon had those Um, they feared the nation of Israel for one because as the Egyptians Israel grew and it troubled the Egyptians that's why they put them into bondage to force them into hard labor to wear them out didn't work they still grew and their numbers still multiplied And Babylon had their eyes. So Isaiah questioned Hezekiah. He said, hey, who is that that I saw this, the, their, their entourage was leaving and they took off? Who, who did you entertain here? Who was here in, in Jerusalem? Who was here? Oh, them. That, those were the Babylonians. They came over to say, hey, Hezekiah, how are you doing? And then I could just, I imagine in my mind's eye, I can see Isaiah, his eyes went wide and then his face became somewhat scowling and his words were not friendly. And what did you tell them? What did you show them? Oh, well, I showed them everything. What do you mean you showed them everything? Well, we saw the treasury. We saw everything in the temple and how beautiful everything was and how beautiful and shiny and such and such and thus and thus. And we went here, we went there, but I showed them everything. 
I could just imagine Isaiah slapping himself in the forehead. And as he turned abruptly to leave, he turned to Hezekiah. You fool. You arrogant fool. He would have been speaking the truth because what ensued later was that the Babylonians came to see what they came to see. And this is why you need to be cautious of flattering words and flattering actions and the way people are. You don't want to be suspicious of everyone. Be accepting and compassionate and kind and good to them, but be cautious. Be bold, upright in your righteousness and have the Holy Spirit to lead your steps through all things. So they flattered him and they just poured out this it was so sticky, he, he could hardly walk. He was covered with honey and sweet sap. <clears throat> Pardon me. So he showed them everything that they wanted to see. They were not concerned with Hezekiah's good health and his good fortune and all these things that, that the Lord gave them. That. Now see, I think the point that Isaiah was making was that he was, why didn't you just tell them about God? Why didn't you just share the word of God and that God's strength and his might did this? Why did you have to show them the wealth of the nation of Israel and the tithes and offerings that we put into the house of God to be able to support the house of God, to take care of the sharing of the teaching of the word of God? Why did you show them all of that? Why didn't you just tell them about God's might and his strength and that his leading to the prosperity? Could have shared that. And there are some that in their arrogance, and I've shared, I've been there, in that house where the arrogance of their position and their authority and declaring things and, and sharing the same scripture maybe adding one or two verses other on either end, but the same thing all the time. And it's talking about their idol, their God, and not my God. They're talking about money. So Isaiah chastised Hezekiah, and ultimately Babylon came back, but they weren't knocking on the door saying, how are you doing? They came back and they said, give me what you got. Give me everything you have. And they came in and they didn't wait for people to hand it to them. They came and they took everything. They looted and they broke down doors. Everything that was rebuilt, everything that was done, all the good in the sight of God that had been done for that purpose had now been destroyed and pulled down. And why? because Hezekiah became arrogant. Not just, it wasn't just pride. See, there's a difference. I'll share this with you. You can be proud of doing a good job and, and putting something together that really works, but don't flaunt it. Let it speak for itself and say, yeah, I feel pretty good. I, I got that done the other day. And then just let it go. But then when you keep going on about it and, and reminding people, you said, yeah, I did that. I put that together the other day. Works good, huh? 
And then you find somebody else, and then you tell them the same thing. That's arrogance, and that becomes more than pride. Don't allow your pride to expound or grow into arrogance as it does, because it comes before the fall in all things. And you have to be cautious about that. I'm sorry if you're hearing that in the background. That's my, uh, that's my sergeant of the guard. He's taking care of business. So now we come in and we have the son of Hezekiah, who became one of the most terrible, terrible kings in lineage. And you can find this in 2 Kings 21 talks about his son, Manasseh. And he began, uh, I guess what you would call a co-reign with his father when he was 12. And his reign in Judah lasted for 55 years, one of the longest. But the guy was not a good king. This, this guy was arrogant, obnoxious, rude, everything that you can... And uh, I, love the, I love the term that, that was shared. He was so despotic. I love that, despotic. What's a despot? That's just a really terrible person who's in leadership, but just nasty about it. And his arrogance is that he's in charge and what he tells you will go. And he shoots people. He has people put to death to impose his rule. Manasseh was terrible. He was, I put him right up there with Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel. You remember the story, and if you don't, I'll share briefly, that when uh, Elijah whooped up on all the counselors and false teachers and and those uh, that Jezebel brought in and set up shop, and Israel fell prey to that, and they walked into it. But see, she married Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, married her, and she brought in the, the idols and the false prophets and teachers and, and all these things there, and then Israel fell into hardship because of this. Oh, well, Manasseh was very much that way, and when Babylon came in and, and did all those things, and it says in... Second Kings 21, verse 2. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And you remember when Israel came and the Lord showed his face and he, he led them. And when he took them in and he told them that there were places that they were going to go that he was promised it and and... They just do what he told them to do and his promises were good and that he would guide them and and take care of them. And see, this is what the Egyptians were fearful of with Israel. And when they went to Jericho, remember, um, who was that? She was a prostitute, Rahab. And she hid the spies that came into Jericho and struck a bargain with them. And she converted because she was declaring her knowledge of God and that she wanted to know God more intently. And 
So the spies promised that they would save her and her family, and she let down the scarlet cord so that they knew where she was, and they led her out to safety before Jericho hit the ground, literally. But what did she share with the spies? And And they talked. They were having a conversation. She hid them out. And she shared with them. She goes, I don't want to fall. I know what's coming. We've heard about your God. We've heard about your invisible God and how peoples and their kingdoms fall before the nation of Israel. We've heard about the power of God and I'm afraid I don't want to be part of that. So they made a deal. They saved her and her family, and she did. She she repented and, and turned to the Lord. But see, the point I'm making is that they had heard about Israel's might, and they had heard about the power and God and his truth and his promises. So why was it that Hezekiah thought that he had to show off? See, Hezekiah wasn't showing out. If he had shared what God had done, if he had shared the word, if he had shared the truth and told them what was there, he would have been reflecting that light that God had put into him and to Israel. But instead, he showed off what he had scavenged and took and from what they were doing and what they had put up and he was showing off what he had done. Well, that was dismantled by Babylon. And Babylon was a tool that was used by the Lord God Almighty. And Israel was in captivity for 70 years because of their arrogance and turning their back on the Lord God, Hashem, Lord thy God. So what Manasseh had done is he tore down everything that his father Hezekiah had done. For he, And if we go on, Further in verse 3, for he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab, king of Israel. Ahab and Jezebel, Baal, the false god. And what they were talking about is actually burning their children in a pit as a as an offering. And worship all the hosts of heaven and serve them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said in Jerusalem will I put my name. (coughs) Pardon me. But he in turn turned it into a place filled with false idols, false deities, and those that taught falsely, false doctrines, liars, false prophets, and teachers of untruth and lies. And... Manasseh had taken all that his father had done, tore it down, and put up all that stuff. And this part, I'm going to have to, uh, (laughs) this is a part that I was talking about. Baal talks about this. Uh, Baal is prop. This is what Elijah came in and beat up on him and, and killed Jezebel's. What they would do is they would, uh, breaks my heart to even think about it, is that 
they had human sacrifices that they performed to Baal. And this is one of the things that was seen is that they had succumbed to these false teachings and these false doctrines and the things that Jezebel brought in and Ahab fell down to it and Manasseh was pushing that same thing and he sacrificed his own son in fire for a lie and untruth. And you say, well, wait a minute. Abraham was going to do that with Isaac. No, 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 no. He was following God's word, but God was actually testing his faith. God's plan the whole time was that he was going to not allow Isaac to be that, but he was testing the faith that Abraham professed. And it turned out truth and good for Abraham. If you remember that at the altar... He provided the ram for the sacrifice that Abraham took and then sacrificed Isaac and wept because God saved his son and provided a promise that he told Abraham. So God's only begotten son sacrificed for our sakes. So Manasseh, it says here that they built all the altars and all these things and, and all this. And he made his son pass through the fire, sacrificed his son. And observing the times that used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits, wizards. And he brought such wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that it had made in the house, of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. He made promises to the nation of Israel. But they didn't listen. But he made promises by all these things. We're going to jump down to verse 9. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake by his servants of prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations, and had done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, friends of Jezebel, which were before him, and had made Judah also to sin, with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. That's a pretty hefty place to be. Let me tell you, if you're sitting there and God is so upset and agitated that your ears start to twitch and tingle and, and you itch it. This is, this is why this is part of where that saying comes from. Oh, were your ears itching? You know, when people are throwing rumors and talking about you and then you just show up and somebody will say, oh, hey, how you doing there, Raven? Were your ears itching? Didn't expect you today. I believe in part this is where this comes from. God, if they hear about what God did to Jerusalem and Judah because of the evil that was done there, their ears were tingling. 
God was not pleased. Further in verse 13, and it will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger. Since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, which is exactly what Jezebel did. And when Elijah up on Carmel (laughs) destroyed their altar, and the sacrifice was taken up by God after being drenched with water and soaked in the trench around the altar. But because Elijah was called down the fire from heaven and God heard his words and did that thing. Elijah was a powerful prophet, but he was also a man. This is why he took off and ran and hid into a cave because Jezebel had said, I'm so angry. I'm so agitated. And he did this to my prophets. I'm going to, and and the, the scroll that was sent to him was, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets, my counselors, my ministers. And he took off running and hid in the cave. And this is when God told him, go up on the face of the mountain. And then all that stormy, the, the earth shook and the thunderstorms and the winds and lightning and all that. But he didn't hear God. He didn't see God. And then, and then he went back to the cave. Because the spirit came and said, go back to the cave. What happened when he went back to the cave? The still, small voice of God spoke to him. And he reminded Elijah that he was not alone. This is important. We see a a pattern in the word of God. When we try to do things on our own, we become upset, we become dismayed, we become discouraged, and then we start feeling so lonesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I kind of scoff at that. I laugh at that because it's, it's almost completely opposite of what we're intending. But everything that we intend is opposite of what it should be. We put our self-centered, arrogant attitude in the place of Lord God Almighty, who promises to be with us all the time. When I feel the loneliest, and see, I can be alone and not be lonely because my Lord is with me at all times. But when I feel the loneliest is when I'm trying to be in control and establish that I'm not alone, but I am physically here but not alone with the Spirit of God and the Lord and the truth and Him allowing me to do this. When God is centered, I'm not alone. And the Spirit reminds me that I'm not alone. I'm never alone. I never am. God does not sleep. He does not slumber. He does not close His eyes. He does not leave me. He does not forsake me. And He said that He was going to, He forsook the nation 
of Israel and Judah because they just turned their back on him. They walked away and they did all the wickedness and everything that he told them not to do. And they kept walking away every time he was trying to lead them into good things. But you follow the Lord, you follow his truth, you follow his leading and guidance and the wisdom that he delivers to us through the Holy Spirit and your steps are guided and you will be on a path of righteousness and you will be cared for and he will protect you, he will lead you and guide you. And and just, here's the thing too. Remember this and then I'll close. God knows you more intimately then you can know yourself. And he knows the depths of the darkness that some of us hold in our hearts. And he knows and still loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And if you refuse, then you condemn yourself Unlike that pervert who shared, oh, we're teaching it wrong and God condemns. No, God's not condemning anyone. He wants to save everyone, which is why Jesus came anyway, because he said, I don't want to be as it was with Noah and the flood. I don't want that to happen. I love these people that, that we created. I want them to carry my image. I want them to have that light in them. I want them to show that out to one another. But they choose not to do so. They choose to do evil and wicked things. And they're choosing to listen to that interference from Satan. Choose that way and you will surely perish. Not only will you die physically, but you will perish. And if you choose to believe and have faith and share his goodness and kindness, you will not perish. You may die physically from this existence because... Tomorrow is not promised, but you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. That's what I want. And when I get to the gate, when I get home, God's going to open the door and he's going to say, huh, my good and faithful son, welcome home. That's the validation that I want, not a mammon. I don't care what any of you all say. And if any of you all get all upset and you seek that offense and your knickers are all twisted up and you're all knotted up and saying, Wow, he doesn't speak like a pastor should. Well, I don't care because my validation didn't come from you. It's important. Seek the validation of the Lord. Seek his face in all things, in all times, in all ways. Stay in the word. Prayer, prayer. Abide with God. Talk to God. He loves that. And that's all prayer is, is talking to God. And don't be so... Why do you have to request everything? I saw something the other day I'm going to share, and it's thank you for your presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not just your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Thank God for just being God, not for everything that he gives. I mean, that's all great, and it's beautiful stuff, but thank him for just being beautiful. 